Hey y'all, welcome back to But Not All at Once, the podcast for people who are both utterly exhausted at 8 p.m. and somehow still awake scrolling Instagram at midnight. I'm your host, Ann Smith, and this week we're talking to Owen Davis. You may follow her on social media or have learned about the story of her incredible and miraculous micro preemies. Owen was on a family vacation, celebrating the holidays and starting off 2019 with her extended family, absolutely excited for all that the year would hold when she went into labor, not even six months along with twins. As you can imagine, the weeks and months that followed were an absolute whirlwind. But in addition to learning that her two teensy little babies were scrappy fighters who were going to come home healthy and happy at the end of it all, she also learned that the people around her and people far away who would never lay eyes on her in person were rooting for, praying for, and cheering her family on. I can't wait for you to meet Owen, and I encourage you to find Mrs. O.R. Davis on Instagram so you can picture those itty-bitty micro-preemies prayed for by so many people as they grow to become not-so-pocket-sized anymore. Take a listen. I'm here with Owen Davis, and I'm so excited to talk to her about the three little miracles under her roof and about the virtual miracle of a mom not only walking through what she's faced in the last six months, but like having a sense of humor about it and continuing to do, you know, the breathing and the laundry and the sandwich preparation that's involved with being a mother of young children. So Owen, welcome and please introduce yourself. I'm Owen. I'm so happy to be here and excited to talk. I am a mom. I am a physician assistant. I'm a wife. And we are busy these days, but so happy. Yours may be the only situation in which bringing twins home makes you less busy oh, than you were absolutely. before they were home. Everyone kept saying, oh, you are going to be busy. And I was, I would reply, no more busy than I am right now. Right. Have when we you were in seen the my life? Yes. Yes. I don't think so. <sighs> so before all of this, and this is kind of a euphemism for the like explosion of your life that happened earlier <laughs> this year, before all of this, you and your husband, can you tell us a little bit about your family, how long you've been married, how you met, yeah, about sure. your older daughter? My husband and I met at UNC Chapel Hill. We both went to undergrad there. He played baseball at Chapel Hill, and we had some mutual friends. And um, I had a huge crush on him without even knowing him. It was a big <laughs> joke between me and um, one of my friends. And the day I moved in to my dorm, um, he called me and asked if he could take me out to dinner. And I politely declined because I was just thinking, this guy's going to be so cocky. He's just going to be, you know, your typical jock. I'm not wasting my time. So I hung up, told my mom, said, you know, I just got asked on a date, but I declined. And she was like, you call him back right now. You need to start meeting new people. And so I was like, okay, fine. Mom, <laughs> so I called him you back. always ruin my yep, life with your awful So we went out to dinner and the rest is history. And your mom is trying not to be too smug about it all these Absolutely. years. Absolutely. She's like, later. come on, you need to <laughs> branch out. So I did. And he was absolutely the opposite of what I had. In my mind, the most Southern gentleman, sweetest guy you have ever met. Um, so thank you, mom. <laughs> We'll take, we'll let and, you take credit this one time. Yes, absolutely. Um, we have been married for five and a half years. We got married in December of 2013 and we have a two-year-old daughter, 
two and a half now. Her name is Vivian, and we also have six-month-old twins, Molly and Lucy. So Molly and Lucy are six months old, and how old should they be if they had cooperated with any doctor's preferred schedule? If they would have cooperated, they would be two months old right now. So they came about four months too soon. Which is a whole lot of months. Yes. 16 weeks early. That's a lot of weeks. So let's back up to their pregnancy. You found out you were expecting, you had been seeing a reproductive endocrinologist. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So, so you, we, did you know that twins were possible? So it was a huge surprise. Um, we did IVF with both of our pregnancies. I remember specifically at my second embryo transfer, I asked my doctor, what are the chances that this could become twins? And he said, there's a one in 300 chance that the embryo could split. Which is nothing. I was like, no, there's no way that'll be us. You know, one in 300, that's nothing. So with the twins, we had um, an embryo transfer and it failed. So then, you know, we were sad. We picked up the pieces, tried again about six weeks later. And again, we transferred one embryo, um, had a positive pregnancy test, went for my first ultrasound, and there was one heartbeat that we saw. So I was like, whew, you know, we we are not the one in 300. We're in the clear. Yes, absolutely. So I felt a huge relief at that point. We went back two weeks later for a second ultrasound, and immediately I saw two. And I said, what is that? And my doctor, I will never forget, he flew, his glasses just flew off. He pulled them off his face so fast and just got this look on his face. And he said, that is twins. And I started bawling, crying. And how far along were you at this point? I was like eight and a half weeks. Oh, wow. And so I started crying. My mom was there with me because, you know, my husband went to the first appointment. It wasn't twins. You know, he could, he didn't need to go to the next one. He could just, you know, stay at work. And my mom stood up, started freaking out. And I was like, I have to call Garrett right now. So I tried to FaceTime him. He was like, I'm at work. I can't answer right now. Is everything okay? I just said, call me when you can. And so he finally called me and I FaceTimed him and I just held up the ultrasound picture and I didn't say anything. (laughs) And he was like, what is that? (laughs) It's another baby. And I was like, it's what you think it is. And he was like, oh my gosh. And so we were both in a complete shock for the most part. I cried for about two weeks. So, I'm not going to lie. To the to the girl's credit, I will say that they came out of the gate showing you that they were overachievers. Like oh, the for odds. sure. For they sure. were trying to send you a message. You just oh, didn't yeah. know yet. Oh, yeah. They were trying to give me an anxiety attack from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> They're getting it all out of the way now. So their teen years are going to be a breeze. That I hope so because Mark they have already words. taken about 10 years off my life. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. you go in eight weeks. And how far along were you with Vivian when you delivered her? So I was 37 weeks with her. and so that, full term. I was in. Yep, she was full term. I just got induced because my blood pressure was starting to get a little high. So no complications with her really at all. So, and that was, was that in the back of your mind? Okay. Maybe we'll have these girls like, you oh, know, yeah. this is what I was thinking. Six I was weeks like, early. my stomach is going to be tremendous. She was eight, four at 37 weeks. So I was Ooh. like, if I go 37 weeks with twins, I'm going to look like a monster. 
But yeah, I had no reason to think they would come early. And their due date was in May? It was May 12th. Yep. May 12th. So when you're pregnant, everything boils down to that due date. Oh, yeah. You count day by day, week by week. Of course, with your second, I have found it is so different. You know, with the first, you kind of have nothing to do but like put your hands on your belly. Oh, yeah. And soak up every, like, my baby is the size of a pomegranate. My baby is the size of a butternut squash. And the second time you're like, wait, am I five weeks, six weeks? You know, it's exactly. They'll tell me when I get there. trying to survive the morning sickness and the exhaustion with a toddler. Um, Very different the second time around, for sure. So your family enjoyed the holidays knowing next year, being 2019 was going to be a whole new game yep. for y'all. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We called it our last trip, our last vacation before the twins came. And and where did you go on your last vacation? So we went to the Cayman Islands, my entire family, um, my mom, dad, both of my sisters, my brother-in-law, my niece, my nephew, and Vivian. We all went to the Cayman Islands right after Christmas. And it sounds like a picturesque getaway, like the sweetest little time to make memories before everything. You know, you're probably imagining you're not going to leave the country for a while. Oh, yeah. We thought we would not be going anywhere for a while after this trip. So we were just super excited to relax and spend some quality time with Vivian. And that is not how our trip went at all. Spoiler alert. It was a little different than expected. So you at this point are how far along? So I was 22 and a half. And undoubtedly being pregnant with twins, you cleared all of this with your care with my team, doctor. Right? Absolutely. Um, we talked about it and they said, you know, we don't see why it should be a problem. You know, you're 22 weeks. You've had no hiccups to this point. No hiccups. I'm healthy. I'm young. I take care of myself. have no real issues. So, I mean, we, we were good to go. Until? Until, Yes. And then what happened while you were there? So the day before we left for our trip, it was a Wednesday. I woke up and was getting ready for work and I noticed that I was bleeding a little bit. That's not something you really want to see when you're pregnant, Um, but I wasn't really worried because Monday and Tuesday that week, I was in the operating room for my job and I was on my feet for like 12 hours both days. So I was like, you know, I probably just overdid it. Um, I'm just going to call my doctor just to make sure before we leave the country tomorrow. So I called my doctor and she was like, well, just go ahead and come straight in. Um, you know, we just want to check and make sure everything's okay. I went to the doctor with Garrett and they did an ultrasound. The babies looked perfect. I was not dilated. My cervix looked great. Like I said, the babies so looked all healthy. all the flags are Gorgeous. Oh like yeah, no red, not everything a red looked flag perfect. No, everything looked perfect. And she thinks the doctor said, you know, she thought that I had just overdone it. You know, I could my cervix maybe was a little irritated. At that point, she, you know, she couldn't say 100% you're safe to go, but sure. But we can never say that at any point. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, I made the decision. Garrett and I made the decision that you know we felt we felt like everything was okay at that point. So I was not having any contractions. I felt totally fine, so I decided to still go. And you so. knew you were going to be in the presence of a whole lot of adults who would help bear the burden of. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you'd you'd be relaxing a whole lot more abroad. Oh yeah, and that's than what they said. They were home. like, you know, when you get there, kick your feet up. You'll be stress free, um, and everything will hopefully just kind of resolve itself. 
And when you got there, did it resolve itself? So we woke up Thursday morning. We had really early flights and I started kind of having contractions. And I was like, these are a little stronger than Braxton Hicks. I don't know what exactly is going on, but I'm still bleeding. Um, So we traveled all day. And again, I was just like thinking to myself, this is exhausting. I'm probably still just overdoing it. So when I get there, I'm just going to kick my feet up and relax and this is all going to go away. Well, that was not the case. Um, we traveled all day and it continued to get worse. I was having contractions every three minutes. I was timing them. So we got there and I called my doctor and told him what was going on. And they were like, we think you need to go to the ED. And I was like, what the heck? I have never been to the ED in my life. I'm in another country so I was freaking out at that point. I think anybody would. That's yep. pretty terrifying. So um, thankfully, my family was there. They kept Vivian. Garrett and I got a cab to the emergency room in the Cayman Islands. Who and how did thought? that work? Thankfully, it was clean, efficient. You know, we didn't have to wait. So they did an ultrasound, gave me two bags of fluids. Everything looked fine. I was not dilated. The babies looked awesome. So again, we kind of just chalked it up to not really sure what's going on. And then we went back to meet my family and I tried to sleep and, you know, it just never really died down. That's so puzzling because on paper, it looks like, I mean, you're doing all the right things. I was just chugging water like crazy thinking I was just dehydrated. Couldn't sleep at all. Kept having contractions. So Were they painful contractions? I was just starting to, oh yeah, they were painful. So I basically stayed in bed the entire trip. Garrett played with Vivian and I just... I didn't really let anyone know how bad I or how scared I was really or how bad I was feeling. I didn't really want them to freak out. Everything kind of died down for about two days. How long were you going to be there? We were supposed to be there from Thursday to Tuesday. So Thursdays when we went to the ED, Friday and Saturday, things died down. So I was like, okay, I'm getting better. You know, the contractions went away. I still kept bleeding though. So I was like, okay, I I think things are fine. The babies were moving fine and I thought everything was good. And then Sunday I woke up really early and I mean, I was having contractions every two to three minutes and they were painful. Mm. And I told Garrett, I was like, something is not right. And I just do not have a good feeling about this. I think we need to get home. And that's not a, you know, 20 minute Uber ride. Oh no, no. And I was like, I was thinking, you know, maybe we can wait until Tuesday when our flight is, but I just, I just don't have a good feeling about this. Obviously I didn't think I was in labor, but I didn't, you know, I just, I just didn't have a good feeling about it. I told my mom what was going on. And I think everyone at that point realized something's not right. So my mom started crying. Of course, my dad called (laughs) the airline. Yeah. Oh yeah. My dad called the airline, kind of told him the situation. They let us switch our flight and they were like the only flight we have today is out of the Cayman Islands and into Charlotte, which is about four hours from us. So we were like, we'll take it. So where do y'all live? We, we live in Greenville, North Carolina. So that's about Charlotte's about four hours West. So we were like, we'll do it. You know, I at least just want to be in the United States. So we literally jumped up at that point and called a cab and we were at the airport in 30 minutes. We grabbed Vivian out of her crib. She was napping. Um, We didn't even pack our suitcases. We took one book bag with our passports and that's it. And a car seat, um, her car seat. And we went to the airport 
and my parents were like, you know, yep. They were like, we'll just pack everything. We'll bring it when we come home on Tuesday. Cause you know, I I did not think I was going to be in labor. So, um, we got to Charlotte. I had contractions the entire flight. Vivi kicked the lady's seat in front of us the entire flight. It was literally the flight from hell. Oh man. I think back to it and I, I just have like so much PTSD thinking back to that day. Wow. It's crazy. Um, I mean, that's I was, a whole lot to, and you can't even process. Like oh, if you yeah. really process and I was it, in the airport. Do it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And in the airport, I was just sitting there in a chair. I didn't want to move. I was terrified and Vivi right. was running crazy and Garrett was chasing her everywhere. And I could just see these people stare and thinking, wow, that's a great mom. And I was like, <laughs> if only y'all knew what was going on right now. Which should be a lesson to all of us because we honest to goodness have no clue what anyone oh, man. is dealing with. I know. I felt so bad. He was carrying her, carrying the car seat, chasing her around. And I was just like trying to breathe. Oh, it was so bad. It was so, so bad. I'm yes. sure. So you land oh. in Charlotte. You must have been like, thank you, Lord. We are yes. home. Even if yes. we're not home home, we are in America. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we landed in Charlotte. It was like nine at night. Vivi, of course. Oh, gracious. That is oh, yeah. not a great time With a two-year-old. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. It was just absolutely miserable. So we rented a car, drove to Raleigh. That's where our car was at the airport in Raleigh. Had to pick up our car, turn in the rental car, and then we drove to Greenville. And it's like the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. At that point, it's like 11 p.m. She finally fell asleep in the car, so that was a blessing. And we drove straight to the hospital in Greenville. And I had called the doctor on call from my OB's office, and they knew I was coming. So they were prepared, you know, to meet me at the hospital. And my in-laws met us at the hospital to get Vivian and they took her home to our house so that she could go to bed. And we told them, we were like, you know, we'll be home in the morning. No big deal. We're just going to get checked out, make sure everything's okay. If you'll just stay at our house tonight, let Vivian sleep and hopefully we'll be home tomorrow before she wakes up. And at that point, you just think like, we'll either, you know, come home and be on bed rest for a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I thought they would give me some fluids, tell me everything was okay. And then say that I was on bed rest for the remainder of my pregnancy. And at this point, that sounded amazing, bed rest, compared to what I was about to go through. There was no stopping it at this point. How, what, what was the, the kind of the progression of information that you got once you checked in? So at this point, we checked in, went to triage, met my OB in there. She um, did an exam. I was not dilated at that point. So I wasn't she said that she did not think I was in labor. They still, you know, no one could really give me an answer at this point. But she said that she wanted to admit me overnight for fluids and a couple labs and that sort of thing, just to kind of keep an eye on me and put the babies on the monitor. Everything looked fine. The babies looked great. I was on the monitor overnight. And in the morning they came in and they said they were going to transfer my care to maternal fetal medicine, which is like the high risk OB team. Right just because they weren't exactly sure. And given the fact that it was twins, I was considered high risk. So, um, it's you're Monday still 22 mo- weeks. At this I was point? 23 weeks. Exactly. Okay. At this point, um, the, the maternal fetal medicine doctor came in Monday morning. I had never met him in my life. And he was like, you know, he introduced himself and said that he wanted to establish a baseline. He wanted to do a pelvic exam, ultrasound, that sort of thing. So we did an ultrasound. The babies looked great. Then he did a pelvic exam and I was one centimeter dilated. Mm. And at that point I was like, oh boy, 
this is not not good. good. No, this Mm -hmm. is not good at all. And he said, which number one, I, I wish that he could be a learning tool for everyone going through residency because he just handled it not in the best way at all. He basically just said, okay, well, at this point you're in labor. So if you have your babies tonight, what medical interventions do you want done to them? And I was like, hold on. I'm sorry. What? what? Yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. No, we'll get through this. No, your babies are going to be fine. It was just, if you have these babies, what do you want done to them? So that was like, the point at which things got very real. That's and, a cold slap in the face. Oh yeah. It was awful. I mean, I started bawling, crying. Garrett started crying. I asked him to please step out um, so we could talk. And, you know, Garrett and I had to talk about some really awful things. And right. the doctor just told us 23 week babies, there's a good chance that they're going to be too small to innovate. And at that point, they'll just kind of wrap them in blankets and hand them to us for, you know, for them to pass away. And I was in shock basically at that point. So now it's just a waiting game, really. He said that I was going to be in the hospital. They were going to start medicine to slow labor. And we were just going to go from there. So we Did just took it hour by hour at that point. In terms of, okay, if we can get to 24 weeks, they're typically, you know, have an airway that's big enough to intubate. So this particular doctor... This particular doctor did not. He just kind of stepped out and that was it. And then I was just, Garrett and I were left in the room in shock. I was crying and we just knew this was very serious. Um, And then a little bit later on, a neonatologist came in. So once you're considered to be in labor this early, you have to meet with the whole, you know, neonatology team and that sort of thing. So she came in and was the sweetest doctor. And I still talk to her to this day. She handled it so amazingly. And she told us that they were going to do everything they could to keep me pregnant, but that if we could make it to 24 weeks, that's considered viability. And the chances of the baby surviving goes up greatly if you can make it to 24 weeks. So that was my goal at this point. I was 23 days, excuse me, 23 weeks and one day pregnant. And we just prayed to make it to 24 weeks. So she did give me hope and they started medicine. I'm sure everyone's heard of magnesium. It makes you feel awful. Mm -hmm. I was on that basically for the next week as well as endomethacin to try to stop labor. And they were just throwing all sorts of stuff at me to try to keep me pregnant. And at that point, did your husband have to be the one to spread the word? So, yeah. So at that point. You have a baby at home. Yes, absolutely. So we called my in-laws, kind of told them what was going on. And thankfully, they're awesome. They were like, don't worry about it. We have Vivian. Y'all do what you need to do. Do not worry about her. We've got her. So that was a huge blessing. We hated to be away from her, obviously. And then I called my mom, who is still in the Cayman Islands. My whole family's there because my, they had no idea what was this was going to happen. You just left feeling like something wasn't right. Oh yeah. But we had no idea that it would be this serious. And my mom did try to come home and I said, you are not coming home with us. You are staying and enjoying the last two days of your vacation. So I called my mom on Monday, bawling, crying. I don't even think she could understand me. And I just said, they told me I'm, I'm in labor, blah, blah, blah. And she's freaking out. Of course, tried to find a flight home. She could not find a flight home that day. So they were all scheduled to come home Tuesday 
And I was just like, I called her all day crying, like, please come home. <laughs> I'm sure she was just a wreck. Um, sure. But she didn't let me know that. She stayed very calm. And Tuesday, they finally got home and she came straight to the hospital. And you know, when you just want your mom sometimes. Yeah. And I just wanted her to be there. So she got to the hospital on Tuesday and I felt, you know, a little bit better. Since there's, my mom there's was there. just a comforting presence yeah. there for sure. Yeah. And we were praying that I was going to be in the hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks at that point. Right. Because they told me I would be in the hospital until I gave birth. And they kept telling me stories about women in my same situation who had gone until 32, 34 weeks. And the thought of being in the hospital for that many weeks sounded awful, but it also sounded like the best thing ever. Right. A because, dream scenario. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Garrett went back to work on Wednesday and Thursday. My mom sat with me all day and we just kind of prayed for each new day without these right. babies being born. I mean, and every hour at that point is oh crucial. Is important. Oh yeah. Sure. And every day, especially. And I think it was, what night was it? It was Tuesday night. This happened every few nights. They would say, okay, you're stable at this point. We're going to transfer you off the L&D floor and to the antepartum floor. And not an hour after I got there, I started having terrible contractions. So they would send me back to L&D, start pain meds, start all this stuff to slow labor, and they would get it under control and we were just so thankful that that was not the night that I had the babies. So it's just a roller coaster. Oh yeah, at this point. it's just constantly, you know, the days would kind of be quiet and uneventful, which is what we prayed for. We prayed for uneventful days, and then the nights seemed to be terrible. I would lay down and try to close my eyes, and I would start having contractions. Would call the doctor. Doctors would come in, start me on. IV pain meds. It was like a constant cycle. That sounds absolutely exhausting, not just for you, but also for your husband having to return oh, yeah. to what seemed like normal life, but he wasn't normal. Oh yeah. Like, it, yeah. Was it was terrible. Same. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> and he came, did he come every night? Yep. He came back every night and spent the night and my mom would go home and stay. And we just prayed to make it longer. And how long did you make it? So then Sunday we woke up and it was 24 weeks and everyone was so happy. You know, you made it to 24 weeks. This is a huge milestone. And I did feel like it was a huge milestone. We had been praying all week to make it to 24 weeks and here we were. So the two days prior to this, I was 23 and five and we had an ultrasound at the hospital and the babies looked great. They estimated them to be one pound, six ounces each. And the doctors oh were like, gracious. Oh, those are great weights for this stage. And I was thinking great weights. We are used to like eight and nine pound babies in my family. Right. right. Um, so That's they were like estimated. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's like a canned drink basically. Sunday was 24 weeks and the same kind of thing happened. Sunday was uneventful. Garrett went home and played with Vivian for a few hours while my mom came and stayed with me. Then he came back that night and they said, it was about seven o'clock. They said, you're stable. We're going to send you back to Anapartum. And I was just thinking, here we go again. So we get to Anapartum, we get settled into our room. And literally not 30 minutes later, I turned to Garrett and said, I just had a contraction. 
And he was like, Oh boy. So he texted my mom and he said, she just had a contraction. You might need to come back. At that point, it was like game on. They, the contractions picked up so intensely, so quickly. The maternal fetal medicine doctor came in and I just could not even speak. I was in so much pain. They said they were going to send me back to the LND floor. So we went back to LND and the doctor said, you know, we just don't have a good feeling about this. They were throwing IV pain medicines at me. They were not touching the pain, but they said, you know, we're not taking the babies tonight. We want to keep them in as long as possible. So he was talking to my mom and Garrett. I was over there throwing up with oxygen, just trying to survive really through each contraction. About 10 minutes later, I would say they started seeing D cells and baby A's heart rate, which is Lucy. Um, So the doctor came back in and he said, we're taking the babies right now. And of course, Garrett and my mom just started freaking out. At that point, I was in that weird delirium. When you're in so much pain, you don't really comprehend what exactly is going on. Um, so, I mean, I knew, I kind of knew what he was saying, but I didn't comprehend the severity of the situation at that point. But all the nurses were in the room. There was probably 10 medical staff in there just getting me prepped for surgery. The maternal fetal medicine doctor was talking to Garrett and my mom about what to expect, blah, blah, blah. The neonatologist came in to speak with us about what to expect. And then they wheeled me to the OR and it was probably 10 p.m. at that point. So Garrett and my mom kissed me and I went back and it was a blur at that point until I got into the operating room. And the anesthesiologist put the spinal in and I had immediate relief and it was the best feeling ever. They put the spinal in, Garrett came in. And at that point, now that I wasn't in such severe pain, I, I knew how bad the situation was. I was 24 weeks pregnant and I was about to deliver 24 week twin girls. And Garrett came in the operating room, kind of laid his hands on my head and we just prayed and I just prayed that the babies would be able to be innovated, that they would live. And then everything happened. They did the C-section and we still weren't sure, you know, if the babies would be innovated. So they took baby A, that was Lucy, our little Lucy. One minute later, they took baby B, that was Molly. And about two minutes later, I looked over and I saw the neonatologist give two thumbs up. And that meant that both babies were successfully innovated. And we just felt the biggest sense of peace at that point. And that's when their fight began, really. They were innovated and there was about 30 people in the operating room. There was two sets of NICU teams, one for each baby. I know you've been waiting and praying and hoping and trying to do everything, but, you know, stitch your knees together to oh, yeah. keep these babies in. Oh, yeah. You have them. They're intubated. Yep. In that moment, for you, well, they're here. They're, they're here. here. They're felt, crying. They're oh, breathing. Yeah. Yep. What did that feel like? We felt a huge sense of relief at that point, just the fact that they were intubated. I mean, we knew they had a very long road ahead, but just the fact that they were alive and they have a chance. Oh, absolutely. Yes. We were so thankful. So, so thankful. And I mean, you said it all that really that's where their fight starts. So in the way it's the end of one chapter, exactly. A a Um, traumatic chapter. It's very traumatic. And in a way, Garrett and I agree that we had a sense of relief when they were born because this entire week, 
I felt like I had a bomb inside of me just waiting to go off at any point. And we knew that this was impending, but we just didn't know when it was going to happen. Right. And Garrett said um, that he almost had a sense of relief because seeing me like that for a week, going through contractions and in that much pain. Right. He said it was just so hard on him. So he was relieved that all that was over. I remember, I'll be at a later point, my husband saying to me the day our preemie was born, you know, if this is going to be his birthday, we should just celebrate it. Yes, that's so true. I remember looking at him and thinking, well, how nice were you? Yeah, easy for you to say. That must be great. And it took me at least an hour to really get to that point. But that's such a tremendous, like, yes, this is happening. We can do not one more thing to stop it. I mean, what's done is done. And we just had to kind of redirect our focus at that point and be thankful that our babies were here and they were alive. And we were, and how did you decide on a totally non-traumatic note? How did you decide who got what name? Did you name them in the womb? Baby? Yes, we did. So, well, partly. About two years ago, I had a little patient um, named Lucy, a little two-year-old girl named Lucy, and I just fell in love with her. So I said, if I ever have another girl, she's going to be Lucy. So baby A was Lucy Winston, and that Winston is a family name on Garrett's side. That's his middle name. So we had baby A set, and baby B we struggled with. We had it down to probably three or four names, and then after they were born, we still had not decided, and it was like day one or two of life, and the nurses were like, okay, we really need a name for baby B. And to be fair, I mean, you did lose a good like 15 weeks Yes, I was like, we have plenty of time to decide this. Right. Um, So it was Lucy and no name baby B, but we finally decided on Molly. And she is Molly Ross, and Ross is my maiden name. And we just love the name Molly. So I love that they each got a name from y'all directly. Yeah. And that, and several of our children are this way too, but, you know, Vivian, Lucy, and Molly, you could read about as sisters 150 years ago. Yes. And we wanted classic names like that. So we wanted, um, Vivian was my grandmother's name. So it's an old lady name that we love. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Absolutely. So how the other trick with all of that is when you've already kind of used your slam dunk baby name for one gender. So true. And then, I mean, and then you got two more, like that's unfair. So we have, we have two boys and two girls and if our last baby had been a boy, I mean, we were kind of scraping the bottom oh, of like absolutely. the family tree barrel. <laughs> Just like we've used what we love. And yep. at this point, we're like, I mean, what doesn't sound hideous together? Yes. We had our list of baby boy names. I mean, we were good to go. You got options. Yeah. Uh-huh. But girls, I mean, we already used our favorite girl name. And then having to think of two more, oh, it was too hard. Many. <laughs> yes, it was so hard. So girls, be nice to your mama. Because yes. in addition to the trauma of nearly birthing you in yes. a foreign country, it was really a, a struggle. Let's talk about the real struggle in this story, Owen. Baby naming. Yes, that's what really matters. That's what the people I are here know. for. Oh, man. So these sweet girls, you finally named that tiny little anonymous angel. Yes. No name, baby B. (laughs) And you are, I mean, you're recovering from tremendous emotional and physical trauma. And what happens in those first few days? So which you're at a hospital at home, is that right? Yes. We are at home um, about 10 minutes from our house, which was very convenient. Um, So we had the babies on Sunday night. At 11.45, and I didn't leave the hospital until Wednesday. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, 
I was obviously so sick of being in the hospital. We had been there at this point for 10 days or more. But at the same time, it was nice just being able to walk down the hall and go see the babies multiple times a day. So in a way, it was nice being in the hospital those first few days. But at the same time, I was just itching to get home and go see Vivian and try to keep things normal for her. Right. So it was and, just and how did mess. that work? Because I know she's young, but yeah. obviously when you tell a two-year-old you're pregnant, you talk about, we're going to bring oh, home yeah. a baby and we're going to put her, you know, we're going to put your sisters in this room and you have this picture yep. for what it's going to look like. How do you explain that to a two-year-old? It was hard. I mean, she's, she's still so young that she didn't really get it at that time. She knew that mommy had babies in her belly. And then we told her the babies were born and we, she was kind of just like, okay, well then where are they? You know? <laughs> right. I'll believe um, it when I see yeah, it. Yeah. I don't know what's going on here. So that was confusing, but we just kept telling her your sisters are born. They're at the doctor. So we just kept telling her they were at the doctor They're The doctors were making them feel better and they'll be home soon. So that kind of, she called on to that and she would tell people, my sisters are at the doctor. So that was just the easiest way that we could kind of explain things to her. Your sisters are at the doctor, but they're here. So we made sure to talk about them all the time with her. And we showed her videos and pictures of them. And she was so interested in the videos. She would watch a video on my phone 10 or 20 times and just keep saying more and more. So that was really sweet. And obviously in January, you cannot take a two-year-old into the no yes and we would not have wanted to take her our child is wild i mean that girl is wild so we were thinking there's a lot of wires and tubes and alarms a lot of stuff for two-year-olds to pull out of the wall and Mm -hmm. trip over and it would we we would not have taken her to the nicu it it would have just been a nightmare she's like a bull in a china cabinet (laughs) so we just we decided to show her pictures and leave her home (laughs) And I'm sure she enjoyed being in her own space anyway. Yes, there are no, there are no yes. cool toys in the NICU. No, exactly. I can attest to that. And the amount of hand washing that is yeah, required would yeah. be no fun either. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. you start out that way and they kind of assess, you know, things in the first couple of days. And I remember a NICU nurse telling me that babies start out the way they mean to go. And I remember thinking, well, if my son was not doing that well, I would reject that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Like I would be like, no false. Oh yeah. I don't think so. But you know, in the first couple of days you do kind of set the emotional tone for how things are looking. So what did those days look like when you kind of came out of your painkiller healing, hobbling down the hallway? So, um, the first few weeks were really, really scary. Um, Molly was born, they call it septic. She had an infection in her blood. So that is not a good thing for a one pound, nine ounce baby to have an infection in her bloodstream, obviously. So, um, I just remember, I think it was, she was like four days old and the doctor said, you know, I'm really worried about her. And I was just thinking, please just please let her survive. And that was, it was scary. It was really scary. I mean, there was, there were multiple nights where my phone would ring and it would be a nurse practitioner in the NICU saying, Molly just took a turn for the worse. You guys need to come in. Mm-hmm. She's on a hundred percent oxygen, the highest ventilator settings, and we cannot get her O2 sats above, I don't know, 60 or 70. And mm-hmm. I mean, we would just, we would race there. I remember one day we were on the swing set with Vivian in the backyard and thank goodness my mother-in-law was still there. 
and I got a call, my phone rang and they said that Molly was not doing well at all. We needed to come in. And so we just like jumped in the car. I cried the whole way there. Um, my mother-in-law stayed with Vivi and we just, you know, you don't know what to expect at that point. You just take it minute by minute, hour by hour. But did you feel like you were always kind of bracing for impact? Yes. Waiting for the next thing? Yes. They had, there's some 24 week babies that they're just born small, but they never really have infections or any of these major problems. We felt like we were having every single issue possible. Molly was the sick one to start off with. And then around two and a half weeks of life, they noticed that Lucy's right leg was starting to swell. And I was like, you know, it's, it's probably just fluid or, you know, something not serious because we've had enough serious And what is your medical things. background? I'm a PA in orthopedics. Okay. So I deal so with you hips know, and knees and shoulders and stuff all day. You know enough to be dangerous, but yeah, obviously Yeah, exactly. But I don't know enough about 24-week babies, you right. know? So, the problem is you're at this point where you feel like you've checked the box of every crappy thing yes, that can happen in a pregnancy. Had, yes, we've had just bad luck after bad luck. So they, the neonatologist was like, well, let's just do an ultrasound, make sure it's not a DVT, which is a blood clot in her leg. Ultrasound was negative. So they wanted to make sure that her hip joint wasn't infected, which is super rare. Right. But they did an ultrasound and they aspirated her hip. So they stuck a needle in her hip joint to pull fluid out. And at this point she was two and a half weeks old and they did get, um, her hip was infected. So what would you, what do you know? A orthopedic right. PA with a baby that has an infected hip. Go figure, right? I mean, so, at this point, your girls just need a break. Like they just need to sleep, oh, nap for like three weeks straight. I know. And be so, feeders and growers. Yes. So we just had hardship after hardship, really. And at that point, they consulted one of actually one of my attending physicians at my office. And he came in and looked at her. And we decided to get an MRI of her hip at that point to kind of further assess what was going on in her hip. And I remember him calling me, um, the physician, because obviously I work with him. So he just called me personally and said, I just looked at the MRI. Her hip is infected and I just don't feel comfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. And I was so thankful for his honesty at that point sure. because I don't, I didn't want someone just to experiment on this one pound right. baby Right. And he said, I, I just, I don't feel comfortable. We need to get her to Duke. So the, the ball just got from there. We just got the ball rolling and not two hours later, she was in a helicopter on the way to Duke. So how does that feel? Cause on the one hand, I'm so relieved that my one pound child is getting the best care. Oh yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, now I get a lump in my throat every time I think about this, oh, yeah. but being it, wheeled out of the hospital without a baby in oh, your arms. It was awful. In and of itself, even if you're 10 minutes away, is, oh, yeah. is akin to leaving a limb in that building and then just being expected to go about your life. That's but so when true. you're, when you're two babies, you know, you've now got three big pieces of your heart. Mm-hmm. One's at home, one's not 10 minutes away. And one is now at Duke. And how, how far away is Duke from Duke where? Duke is two hours from us. Yeah. So at that point, we knew we were going to have one home at our home hospital. One was going to be two hours away. And then we had um, Vivian at home. So we were split in three directions at that point. 
And you're lactating and you're healing. Yes, and, and just your all hormones the emotions. are off a cliff. Oh, I mean, you, yes. I cannot imagine a more, truth be told, like I think there are CIA like interrogation tactics that are less cruel than it was what your body has sure. been through. Yes, it was a nightmare. So did any either of you get to go with her? Did you, what so did that look like? Usually when children fly, a parent can go with them. But since she was so small, she had to have a neonatologist and a respiratory therapist since she was still right. on the ventilator. So they were over the weight limit. So Garrett and I, we ran home, packed our bags and got in the car and drove there. So we met her there. And that was the most awful drive ever. Just mm-hmm. knowing she's above us in a, in right. a helicopter. And you, you have so no helpless, control. No control. You just feel so helpless. But, you know, we we had no choice. Right. And it was the best thing for it her. It was the best thing for her. We knew she was in good hands. So that was. She was three weeks old at this point? She was three weeks old. Yep. And three weeks old for her is, you know, negative 13 weeks. Yeah, she's 27 weeks gestation at that point. That's so, I mean, it's unthinkable. It really is. So at this point, and you hear people say it all the time, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. And you do it because you just do it. Yeah, I had no option. Yeah. But when you look back on that time, do you have enough distance now to say, well, I'm really proud of Owen circa, you know, February yes. I'm, for not I'm, losing her marbles. I'm so proud of myself. The, the amount of traveling and driving and just balancing There's not a lot of healing being no, done. No, I mean, I, I was basically a robot at that point. Right. We were just going through the motions kind of. We would spend the night at home. Well, not always spend the night at home. I spent the night at Duke a lot of nights. Basically, we were just doing what we could. Um, now, were, was there a place for you at Duke to spend the night? So the first four nights that Lucy was there, my husband and I spent the night at Duke. And they had what they call a family room, which is basically, basically a closet. So sure. we slept on two chairs in a closet. Um, right. That was awesome. But you're under the same roof. <laughs> yes. So we were right outside the NICU doors. So that was super convenient. So we just got to sit back there with her. And I think most people may not know that, too, that the NICU is not like a spot where you, you know, pull up a recliner oh, and get no. your cozy blanket. It's such a out. cold environment. It's scary. It's sad. But it provides the best care. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. But it's it's not a hotel. No, it is not a hotel by any means. So Lucy had surgery on Valentine's Day and that was a really hard day. That was probably one of the hardest days in the whole the whole journey because she's going under general anesthesia to the operating mm-hmm. room. And How much did she weigh at this point? She weighed about, I think she was one pound, 12 ounces at that point. Wow. So still under two pounds. Yeah. A tiny, tiny, tiny little and baby. And what kind of surgery was it? Duke has a pediatric orthopedic department and mm-hmm. our home hospital doesn't have that department. So that's a very specific. Think, yes, sure. it's very specific. And they had three pediatric orthopedists. And they're the, some of the best in the whole country. So we knew she was in excellent hands and the surgeon walked in and it was me, Garrett and my mom. And he walked in that morning and just kind of told us what he was going to do. And I said to him, I said, have you done this before? Like, do you know what you're doing? Basically. He basically said, yeah, of course, this is Duke NICU. Like, duh, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) What is this? Yeah. Yeah. So that made me feel so good. 
And um, I have to tell you, there was a huge God moment this day on Instagram. I had someone message me, someone that had been following our journey. And she said, we just saw that Lucy was being airlifted to Duke. We prayed for you in our small group last night. And one of my best friends is a nurse anesthetist at Duke. Is it okay if I give you her number? And I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. This girl texted me and she said, I'm a nurse anesthetist at Duke and I'm in Lucy's case right now. Stop. And I just get chills when I think about that. Me too. And so throughout the whole case, she texted me and she said, you know, Lucy's in the case, Lucy's under anesthesia right now. She's breathing great. Then 30 minutes later, he's closing up. Everything went great. And then they said, Mm. you know, surgery's over. The surgeon will be up in just a minute. Not two minutes later, Dr. Lark walked in the room and told us everything went great. So that was a huge godsend. I mean, only God could have done that. That's incredible. Yeah. So a random follower happened to be the nurse anesthetist in my daughter's surgery. So that was... A, that was just a blessing for sure. It's in, it's incredible the kind of people who work in your profession and particularly in that really specific level of, you know, pediatric orthopedics yeah. or I would say it's more than just a livelihood, it's a calling. Definitely. And so that doesn't surprise me a stitch yes, that someone who definitely. works there would do that. But what a gift yes. to you because I know that watching that little, you know, we have little surgical boards here that kind of go from you know, turn green and change uh-huh. colors and show you where they are. And you've never seen anything move slower. I mean, yes. time inches along. You just sit on the edge of your seat. Oh my goodness. And, you, and if you tell oh. me three and a half hours at three hours and, you know, 29 minutes, I'm you're like, okay, skin. where I'm are they? I'm calling my face off. Yes. It is not a great place. And Ugh. a baby under two pounds. I mean, my goodness, I probably gained two pounds over Memorial Day. I know, right. Oh, that's just so she, she is a tiny. scrappy little thing. Yes. So and tiny. she came out and how did she do? She did well. She did great. She did have an infected hip. She has two big incisions. So the moment that we got to go back and see her was amazing. Obviously, I wanted to lay eyes on her and just make sure that she was okay. And she was. And so, were you able to hold her at this point? No, we didn't hold her at this point. She was they were too worried about pain. So she was on morphine around the clock. So we didn't hold her at this point. And at this point it was, it's like an act of Congress to hold them anyways with 5 million cords. So we we rarely got to hold them at this point. So Molly is back closer to home home. doing well. Yep. Well, she was still fighting infections, but overall she was getting better. I would say. And what did the next stretch of time look like? Cause you knew, I mean, you were never under the illusion that you were going to go home, you know, No, we were hoping we were, well, so we were hoping that it would be about three weeks that she would be at Duke. We wanted her incisions to heal. We wanted orthopedics to sign off on her. And then we were hoping to transfer her back. Well, then to the then, other hospital. Yep, exactly. To be right. back home with her sister. Um, so that we didn't have to drive two hours every time we wanted to see her. Cause that is not ideal. No. Um, and then in the meantime, she was having echoes done of her heart and, she had what they call a PDA, which is just a hole in the heart that usually closes at birth. Well, in these premature babies, it doesn't close because they're so early. So then she was on the border of needing it surgically ligated. And we were thinking if this is getting done, it's getting done at Duke. Right. So we kept waiting week after week. She would have echoes and 
they were treating that with medication to try to get it to close up. We were hoping to avoid surgery, but we were right on the border of needing surgery. So we didn't want to send her home and then have to bring her back for surgery. So time just kept passing. Um, thankfully, her PDA did get much smaller. So she avoided surgery, thank goodness. And then after the heart thing, then the eyes came into play. People don't realize there's so many things that are avoided by just staying pregnant. Um, And ROP, which is retinopathy of prematurity, that's a big thing for these micro preemies. And so they start getting eye exams, I think around 30 weeks. And both babies had ROP, of course. Um, But you don't always need treatment for it. Sometimes as they grow, it resolves itself. Well, of course, um, my baby's was just getting worse. So yeah, of course, why not? So long story short, the hospital back home, all they offer is laser surgery where, whereas at Duke, they offer laser surgery as well as an injectable medication called Avastin, which is a chemotherapy drug that they inject into their eyes, which kind of reverses the ROP. And, Mm -hmm. um, the ophthalmologist at Duke is world renowned for ROP And I spoke with her on the phone for a long time and she answered all my questions. And we just decided that it would be the best thing for both babies because if you have the laser surgery, they lose a significant amount of their peripheral vision. And Mm -hmm. obviously we had to make the decision either selfishly, we'll keep her at Vidant and she'll have laser surgery and her vision's not going to be great. Or um, we can send her to Duke and do the best thing. So as hard as it was to send her as well, we ended up sending Molly to Duke as well for her eyes. And both babies underwent procedure on their eyes for their ROP. How old were they at this point? They were 36 weeks. So they were both at Duke now and they got the Avastin in their eyes. About four days later, they both came home. So that was the best day ever. I can't even imagine. Did you let yourself imagine that? Picture it? Hope for it? We had been hoping and hoping and hoping and you never... I mean, having two babies in the NICU is a nightmare. But then when you have two babies in two different NICUs, that's and an even worse home. nightmare, you know? So having them back at the same hospital lessened our burden significantly. It's, it's like swinging with like a metal bat yes. versus a wooden one. Yes. Like yes. maybe it's still hard work, but hey, it's better than what you were doing Absolutely. before. Absolutely, Yes. So when you finally got the news, your girls had been in three different places for so long. How many days were they apart? Gosh, they were apart for about 10 weeks. We were driving to Duke for about 10 weeks. And then they got to ride in the same ambulance home. So that was special. And then they came back to the step-down unit, which is called special care. So. They never went back to the NICU here. They went to special care, which is kind of the feeder like grower unit. Yep, exactly. How old were they when they finally came home to be with Vivian so and meet her? They were 43 weeks when they came home. So wow. they came home on May 28th. And what did Vivian think? She loves her sisters so much. It is the sweetest thing. Don't get me wrong. She is a little rough. Just <laughs> She's like two. a two-year-old. She doesn't understand right? that we have to be very gentle. But she wakes up and the first thing she says is, see my sisters, see my sisters. <laughs> so we go downstairs and she has to go look at them and she has to hold them, which, you know, doesn't last very long, but <laughs> she is so sweet with them and she just loves them to death. And do Molly and Lucy get a flash of terror across their face when yes, she looks them? Yeah, I'm sure mm-hmm. they do. <laughs> that sounds about right. Oh, 
but it's it is a, very sweet. I mean, I've never heard of a baby being loved to death. I know that our children have certainly tried it. Like they have yes. tested that theory, but there are worse things to happen. That is so true. Someone that loving is so you. true. They get a lot of love in our house. And the key is that after walking through what you did, I mean, I know that in all that there are a lot of stages of grief and the first person who ever used the word grief to me to describe one of one of the situations we had faced with our children. I remember like wanting to kick her in the leg because this is not a graveside. Nobody is grieving. You may go now, please. And thank you. And I realized now she was really getting at the grief of what you thought you were going to have your expectations. Oh. Oh, yes. Your picture. Perfect. So Imagine that you come home with two full-term, healthy twins straight out of the gate. No trauma, no drama, no helicopter flights. Everyone's going to throw casseroles, diapers, childcare, all the things that you, and you're going to need them. But in this situation, A, you're even more excited and grateful than the typical parent of twins, but you're also more tired and drained. And it has been at this point, like a full four plus months. Yes. ordeal. What does that look like? How do people help you? What did you need? What did you ask? We for? were absolutely blown away by the amount of support we received from all over the country. Really right after the twins were born, we just had so many people gifting us meals and gift cards and all the things. Um, so that was so helpful because we would go to the NICU every single night um, after we put Vivian down. So having those meals and not having to slave over dishes was a huge help. Um, so that was a, mm. that was a blessing. And then when we got home, we had the same thing. We had so many people bringing us dinner. It was so helpful. Just one less thing that you have to do or think about even. We had people drop diapers off in our garage. We had friends leave Chick-fil-A on our doorstep. We had... It's my love language of choice. Yes, We had people mailing us gift cards to restaurants around our town. And I mean, we had people mailing us stuff from across the country that follow me on Instagram that I don't even know. I mean, I was so blown away. It really taught me how to better help people and... I promised myself that going forward in the future, I'm going to do more things for people because I just, I realized how big of a help and how much of a blessing those things were when they were done for us. And it taught you how to be a friend. Yes, absolutely. We were just so blown away by all of the kind gestures and the things that people did for us, even complete strangers that didn't even know us. So I found you on Instagram through April Robeson. Yeah. And remember that there was that, and I wish I could remember the amount. Was it was a specific number? What was it that April encouraged everyone to give? Like a it certain- was five dollars, and it was on Lucy's surgery day. It was on Valentine's Day, and April, gosh, I I just met her through Instagram and blogging, and oh, I wish that she lived closer because I know we would be best friends in real life. But that was the sweetest gesture ever. And we were so thankful for it. So you have hundreds of people that we never even met dollars to this family. What's what's incredible though, is I think really before social media, I would have thought, you know, if I went to college with you or I kind of knew you from home, but we weren't close. Like when something happens, you don't really want to hear from someone who's not your best friend. And when I walked through some hard stuff, I realized pretty quickly, like I would take a prayer or a sweet word from literally anyone. 
at all ever. It meant so oh, much yeah. to me to know that people were in our corner virtually and otherwise. Yes. And I've become a lot freer with that, with telling people just what I mean That's and just so what true. I think and because it, it, it can sustain you. Yeah, you never definitely. know what that's gonna be. I remember someone telling me that she was she was thirty, like I was, and she told me when our daughter had surgery, tummy scars are awesome and she's gonna live the rest of her life with a really cool story to tell. And at the time what I loved was the idea that she was gonna live the rest of her life with it because that was not something like I just didn't have the faith yeah. at that point oh, yeah. to, to really get to that place. Yeah. What did those first few weeks look like for you? I remember wondering, watching your Instagram, how does this work with, you know, FMLA, with maternity leave, with... Yeah, so um, I, I only work part-time right now, which is a huge blessing for our family. I love my job yeah. um, and I also love being a mom, but I like doing the two of those things. Right. So after I had Vivian, I came back to work only three days a week, which is the perfect balance for me and for our family. It gives me kind of the outlet that I need to feel productive, but also allows me to have more time with my babies. So after the twins were born, I went back to work after two and a half weeks because I wanted to save all my time. So I went back basically right after I physically felt capable after my C-section. Right. So I was back That's at work. Incredible. Yeah, That's it was truly it was remarkable. not ideal by any means, but we just decided I would rather save my time for when they're home. Absolutely. Rather than when they're in the NICU and thankfully Molly was well, you know, they weren't at two places, but the NICU here is just right across the street from my work. So I would go on my lunch break and see her. And we would also go every night after we put Vivian down. So that was a blessing, but it was not ideal being back at work that soon. Yeah. But it also allowed me to take um, 12 weeks of maternity leave, which I'm currently in maternity leave right now. So this time has been so special. Just it's like a redo. Yeah, exactly. It's like the maternity leave that should have happened four right. months ago, six months ago. And I mean, the thing is, there's no ideal way to handle any of this because yeah. just none of it should happen. But one thing I hope you see, because everyone who follows you on Instagram undoubtedly sees is that no one could have handled this better. Well, like thank truly you. it's not, there's no one way to navigate this. And I would love to know how for people who are facing a NICU stay or time in a hospital, you know, the impact on your other child, the impact yeah. on your husband and your marriage and mm -hmm. your mental health, what advice or encouragement or tidbits, like what did you glean from this besides a, you can survive it, Yeah, yep. which is encouraging enough. What yes. else did you walk away knowing that you wouldn't have understood earlier? So one of the biggest things that we we realized in the beginning of this whole thing is this is going to be a marathon. It's not a sprint. We need to take it day by day, sometimes hour by hour. And Garrett and I decided we need to put our marriage first. This is going to be very stressful. This is probably going to be the hardest thing that we'll ever go through as a couple. And so we made it a priority to spend time together. And um, I remember the first time we got a babysitter for Vivian and we went out to dinner on a Saturday night. I remember feeling like people were staring at me and thinking, doesn't she have more important things to be doing? Like she has two babies in the hospital. Aww. And I told that to one of my friends and she was like, 
forget what everybody thinks about you. You're putting your marriage first and that's important right now. Right. Um, so that was hard, but we knew that we needed to put our marriage first and we needed to make it a priority to focus on our marriage because this high stress, it, it, it's hard on everybody and it's hard on marriages. And we, thankfully we are an amazing team and we only grew stronger through this whole process, but I can see it going the other way too, because it's a lot of stress and, you know, you seem to take stress out on the people you're closest to. So it can, I mean, I know Garrett has dealt with some pretty bad attitudes on my part and some rough days and a lot of crying. Bradley likes to refer to that as you weren't the best version of yourself. I I have not been (laughs) the most diplomatic expression. Yes. You were out of your mind. Absolutely. But he has dealt with me for sure. And amazingly, and he's been the best partner and we just make a great team and I would not have survived this without him. So I think focusing on your marriage is absolutely critical when you're going through a traumatic situation like this. How has he adjusted to the reality of five people under one roof. I mean, did y'all just like have, I think I would have just pretended like we were in a compound and nobody <laughs> else li- existed and we just yes. like hunkered down. Um, so while. he is very outnumbered now, but he is <laughs> a, an amazing girl dad. And when we had Vivian, he wanted a girl so badly and I really wanted a boy. So we found out it was a girl and he was just ecstatic And now I can't imagine anything other than girls. And he is the world's best girl dad. I mean, he does their, he does Vivian's hair. He lets her, you know, dress him up and he is just the perfect girl dad. And we have fallen into a rhythm as a family of five and we kind of divide and conquer at this point. It's crazy. You go from two on one to two on three and it changes things dramatically. So um, when we're all home, I tend to kind of, do the babies and he does Vivian and then we just make it work. It's mass chaos 99% of the time. And what does day-to-day life look like for the twins? Is there PT or their follow-up appointments? So yes, right when we got discharged from the hospital, they were still on a lot of medications. We had a lot of follow-ups and people see you getting discharged and they think, Oh, it's over. It is far from over at that point. I mean, these micro preemies have, still so many medical problems um, to grow out of. And so we were going to hematology, orthopedics, ophthalmology, endocrinology, the pediatrician. It's a full-time job. Oh, it absolutely is. I have a calendar in my pantry that I have all of their everything written down on. And I was just looking at it one day and I was like, how in the world do people do this? I mean, I, I consider myself to be very organized and I mean, I still have trouble keeping it all straight and they get medicine, multiple medicines throughout the day. Um, at one point, I think I was given like eight different doses of medication oh, in a wow. day. And so it was just a full time job on a full, fully recharged no, battery. No, either. no. Um, but I remember just praying when they were in the NICU, I was just praying for sleepless nights and they got right. home. And I remember the first night they woke up crying for milk and I was just smiling and I was just so happy to be awake in the middle of the night. It and puts I it in swore, perspective. Yes. I swore I would never complain about being tired. And up until this point, I haven't. I think I'm still running on adrenaline, but <laughs> um, it's just the everyday things. I'm just so much more thankful for the everyday things. 
because well, I wasn't nothing. sure I would ever get to experience them. Did you did you let yourself daydream about it in the hospital? I did. That, well, in the beginning, I tried not to let my mind wander because I really wasn't sure if they were going to survive, as scary as that sounds. But as the months went by, I was just... I prayed to take them to the beach and I prayed to just sit on the playroom floor. I remember telling Garrett, just sitting in our playroom with all five of us together sounds like heaven. So just the little things are, are so great now that we're all home. I can handle the worst day at home over the best day in the hospital. Yes, a absolutely. Yes. Whether I get any sleep or not. At least. I know we are. I tell everyone we are happily sleep deprived. It's such a great situation too, like dust yes. bunnies and dirty yes. laundry. Yes, we can. Yes. Our house is a wreck, but that's okay. That's you're okay. You're not going to host dinner parties with, you know, three children, two and under. Oh my like, gosh. I know. I hosted, I hosted my best friend's bridal shower the week after the Stop twins it. came home. And well, this is where the girls get their woo. overachiever jeans from. Yes, I was, I was like, why did I agree to this? But it's okay. We, we survived. You just hibernate from here yes. on out. <laughs> yes. So are the girls able to go to daycare? What does that look like when you go back to work? So we are very blessed that my mom and my mother-in-law split the time um, keeping our kiddos. And so, they're both retired? So they are, my mother-in-law is a nurse, so she works part-time. And my mom is a full-time mom, and we keep her busy. So full-time mom and grandmother. Full, full-time Amazing. mom and grandma. She keeps my sister's kids one day and my children one day. So we are very blessed. I know we are so blessed and we are lucky in that regard. And because the twins are technically not allowed to go to daycare because they are micro preemies and their immune systems are just not up to par. Right. So we would have had to figure something out. Um, Can they go to church or they are not allowed to go to the church nursery or anything like that. When we were being discharged, the neonatologist told us, in an ideal world, they wouldn't go in public for an entire year, which Ooh. is crazy. And I was at Target like two days later. Don't tell on me. But, um, <laughs> I don't think so, he listens. It's fine. So they can't go to the church nursery or daycare or anywhere like that. But I am taking them in public, just not immersing them in germy situations. Right. Don't let anybody touch their face. Absolutely. Wash your hands and don't look at my baby if you even have a sniffle. No. it's so, It's funny, though, because... I think you do lose that memory. It's always older people who come like fingers ablazing straight. Oh, yes. I remember wearing my preemie on my chest. He was two days home from the NICU and we had to get his heels stuck. Uh We were in a lab with like no one under 120 was there. And (laughs) some woman tried to unhook the baby to get to his face. And I thought, Lord, I'm going to clock her, aren't I? Oh, I'm going to clock her right the in the worst. face. Because you want to be so nice, but... It was January. This is I like know. the fluiest season of all. Please back away. We went somewhere like two weeks after they were home, and a lady came up and grabbed Molly's hand in her nope. car seat. Nope. And I was like, please don't touch her. They are very... They have a compromised immune systems. Good for you. And I felt so bad, but just don't touch the babies. No. Don't touch them. It's fine. A good wave... Yes, just wave and look and Mm -hmm. say they're cute because they are adorable, but don't touch them. And what is, have you gotten any ridiculous questions? Have people asked you yet if you're having any more children? Because folks love to ask that. Oh, people always ask that. What in the world? I mean, people, let me think. 
I had a oh, lady. Are you trying for where, a boy? Have you gotten any of that? Yes, we've gotten that. We have gotten that. I say we are happy to be an all-girl family. Oh, there was a lady. She said, how old are they? Which we get that question all the oh. time. And then I'm oh, like, do I say they're one. six months old or do I just say they're like seven weeks old? So I said, right. well, they're almost six months old. Wow, they're really small. Yes, ma'am. They were born at 24 weeks. Oh, well, they're still really small. Well, yes, ma'am. Okay. They're technically Have you seven weeks old. Yeah. So it's just like, I know people just don't understand. So you just have to kind of nod and yes, ma'am. I know. Someone told me once that can't be right. When I told her Chapman was five months old, that can't be right. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't what? know my baby's birthday. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I am sleep deprived, but I think I know when he was born. (laughs) Whatever January was, that's how many months. Thank you for your non-professional. Yes, I know. But But you know what? At this point, who even cares? I know. I know. I'm just going to start saying they're two months old. They've just been here (laughs) for a really long time. (laughs) They were due in May. Yes, absolutely. There you go. That's what I'll start saying. They were due in May. Don't worry about it. And then at a certain point, and especially when Vivian is old enough to hear and understand, that's when it really got me. That's when people would say, like, he's so small. Someone asked me if something was wrong oh, with him yeah. when an older child was with us. And it just oh, it just put yes. a hot, you know, hot tears in I your know. eyes. Like, nothing is wrong with him. He is perfect. Something might be wrong with you. Yes, actually, for asking come that. Come to think of it. <laughs> Gosh. Well, I'm so thrilled that your girls are at a point where the busiest part about it is yes, just shuttling they are into thriving. different appointments. And I don't know how you can get any cuter. <laughs> you put a video up of little uh, preemie rumps. Yes. And they're doing oh. some summy time. I mean, I everything just, is cute. when, And then you have two of them and it, it's just the cutest ever. And they're like dressed. The first of all, they're dressed and they're wearing monograms and ruffles. And I'm like, how is she functioning at level <laughs> Or do you just like, are you showering? Tell me you're forgoing a shower in order to dress them in matching clothes. Oh, yeah. You, you wouldn't you want to see me all. right now. Um, Good. Great. I'm, great. Yep. That makes me feel I'm, better. I'm the last priority, but that's okay. That's okay. It's amazing that we will go out looking like oh, a, yeah. you know, oh. the troll that like makes you cross the bridge with a riddle. And, and you see everyone you don't want to see when you go out right. that way. But my child is like. Oh, they're dressed to the nines. Ready. They look amazing. It's a glorious thing. I'm and like, just look at my child. She looks precious. Don't look at me. Absolutely. Well, no one, I mean, the last time anyone's taken a picture of me, it's been a hot summer. It'll be totally fine. And if nothing else, you have tremendous leverage for when they give you a little side eye in middle school. That is so true. Listen here, lady friend. Look what y'all put me through. Don't even start with me. Don't even start with me. I'll take you back to the Caymans. We will take you back to the emergency room where it all started. They have taken about 10 years off my life. So their teenage years better be stress-free. They are going to be be the best behaved children. That's what I've heard. I've heard there's actually a neonatology study where they did look into that. In (laughs) fact, teenagers, like no no speeding tickets, no boyfriends, No sneaking out. No, no, nothing. No, nothing. Easy peasy. Oh, man. We can only hope. Yes. And as April Robeson said, you know, the, co- the cost of a year like this, April compared it to driving a Ferrari off a cliff. Yeah, yes. Like you don't you don't bring the Ferrari home. Nope. But uh, but the cost is is the same. Yes. So good news is that those high knees are real cute. Yes, they are so, so cute, and they are so worth it. And what can we do for our friends who are in the NICU? What is the best thing that we can provide for them? Man, checking I would say, in, yes, food. just check in. It meant it meant so much to me when my friends would reach out and say they really wanted to meet the babies because the NICU is a scary place. Not not everyone wants to go in there. It's very right. intimidating. It's like a different world. 
So when people would message me and say, I really want to meet your babies, just let me know if you're having visitors in the NICU. And most of the time I'll, I loved taking people to meet them in the NICU, even if it's just for five quick five minute glance at the babies, you know? And even if you couldn't, just to know this yeah, that they care. So yeah, um, I mean, the meals were awesome. I got so many Starbucks e-gift cards, which we lived off of Starbucks. So that was such a blessing. Really just being there. Um, people kind of fade, fade off as the time passes. So right. we really appreciated when people were still there four months into our awful journey. Because people forget about it. But meanwhile, we're still in the throes of it. Yeah, exactly. So just be there and do something. Just do something. Um, I think that's the thing. Yes. We all feel afraid to do the wrong thing, but really anything from a good place. Anything, whether it's $5 to Starbucks or a home-cooked meal or I'm going to come sit with Vivian while you guys go to the NICU. um, Just do something. And I guarantee you they will be so grateful. I'm sure. And now you are home for a dreamy existence. Yes. Happily ever yeah, happily after. Happily ever after. That's what it looks like with no more of that. Do you get flashbacks of like NICU smells? Yes. I get flashbacks like of NICU everything. the soaps and the cleaners and the, oh. the sounds. I mean, I'll just be sitting there and I'll be like, Garrett, do you remember such and such? Or do you remember um, how many days we would drive to Duke in a week? And how did we do mm-hmm. it? Or... Do you remember the day when such and such? And we just kind of reflect back on the NICU time. And now that we're removed from it, it's easier to look back and see what what all we went through. But when we were in the throes of it, we just kind of pushed onward and just really I wish time away, which I hate to say because I I hate to wish time away. But for those not a great no, for those four months, we just I told Garrett I was just praying for the days to pass because I just wanted my babies home. And now you have them. Now I have them. And it's just a pink paradise. It is. You're have so much tool and so many pink hunks of plastic. So much like, pink everything. There's no baby blue in our house, which my husband hates because we are Tar Heels. But that's I okay. Bet, I bet you can work some in. That's I okay. Yes. Yes. They will be Tar Heels when they grow up. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you want people, especially folks who haven't met you and have just been praying for you and your girls to know? Just how thankful we are from the, for the support from across the country. Um, we, we are so thankful for the prayers and the love that we felt from total strangers. So thank you to everybody who's been following our journey. We would not have survived it without the support of our entire community. So thank you to everyone. Well, I hope that Vivian and Molly and Lucy can take a peek at all of that somehow. The comments and the followers yes. in, See in how years in the were. future. And just to know, like, when you're a teensy little peanut, it's a weird thing to say, like, I hope your baby's not born. Yes, you know, we, yes, I know. <laughs> but for there was a time where we wished you wouldn't be born That yet, is true. We did. We celebrated you and now... We um, prayed for you, you know, and you're, now you're yes. thriving and growing, and they were so a very grateful. A million happy for. milestones. Yes, so many. A million happy milestones. Well, thank you for letting all of us in on it. I know that it could have been really easy to just shut down, and I bet that within an hour of this episode going live in the way that it always works, you will have a message from someone who is encouraged to just advance another day to survive and advance in the NICU because of your story. And that's our, that was my hope 
making our infertility journey public as well as this NICU stay is that it would help just, you know, at least one person to know they're not alone because it helped me reaching out to so many other NICU moms and helped me feel that I was not alone and just to bounce stories off of and situations and experiences. It, it really helped. So I hope that I can help at least one other NICU mama. And from here on out, we just wish you a boring and unremarkable, yes. we love and entirely boring. mundane, we love just boring. easy, yes. you know, like may the worst part of your week just be that you like a bird, yes. there's a mess on or your that I have mounds of laundry to fold. <laughs> we love boring. That's it for today's, but not all at once. Thanks so much for joining us, y'all. I hope you'll subscribe because we have a lot to talk about this season and I don't want you to miss a single story. If you love what we're doing, would you consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? It would mean the world, like more than a porch drop of a large Chick-fil-A sweet tea with pellet ice. It's a big deal. Come join the conversation at But Not All At Once on Instagram or email me directly at butnotallatonce at gmail.com. As always, I'm Ann Smith, and I'll see you right here next week. Bye, guys.